0: Welcome everybody to another episode of Need Some Introduction. I know a lot of you are new listeners. Severance has drawn a lot of new listeners to our feed. So just a reintroduction. So I started this podcast during the pandemic as a way to keep in touch with my friends. And also as I get older, it's harder and harder to make time to watch and analyze music, movies, television shows. You know, life gets in the way. Parenthood gets in the way. So it's just a way to check things off my checkbox, things I want to see and conversations I want to have, and also stay in touch with my friends. So that's what you'll see here. You'll see me making recommendations, writing reviews or reading reviews, and hopefully finding television shows mostly that are worth doing deep dives into. And I hope you enjoy the ride. It's been a lot of fun for us here, and I hope you all enjoy it as well. In today's episode, I will be giving you a bunch of things you can watch if you did like Severance and you want to watch similar stuff. I have a deluge of things I'm going to recommend for you. Some old, some new. Following that, Sona and I discuss our relationship with Better Call Saul. I'm dropping this episode here on a Tuesday. Hopefully this will publish on Tuesday because I think this will be the new slot for our recaps. The Better Call Saul show premieres next Monday and our recaps, hopefully, if we're able to get around to it, will be dropping on Tuesdays. So that's our planned production schedule. And here's your episode zero, basically. So stay tuned for all of that. As usual, subscribe or follow us so you know when these episodes become available. Drop us an email at needsomeintroduction at gmail.com. Have received some recent very nice emails from all of you. Thank you so much. We really appreciate the feedback. And one last production note. You're going to hear during my discussion with Sona, some kids in the background. (laughs) It's not on your side. (laughs) It's on my side. And kids, Are just in the background sometimes, and they can be loud. (laughs) So I do apologize for that. But if you do get confused, it's not around you. It's here at the house. And I hope it's not too distracting. Okay, so Severance just wrapped up. And there's many directions you can go with Severance recommendations. There are so many influences here that I see. And I'm going to list a whole bunch of them here that you may appreciate. Some are old, some are new, some have been very popular, some not so popular. So I hope there's something new in here that you discover So first, I'm going to start with a pretty obvious one. If you enjoyed the workplace humor of the show, you can start in a relatively lighthearted space with office space, which I believe is 1999, Mike Judge, he of Beavis and Butthead fame. I believe the first film he directed post Beavis and Butthead, a very funny film, failed by the way, at the box office at the time, a big flop, but of course had a very, very long life on home video and on cable TV. And I honestly don't know. This show was so ubiquitous when I was coming up. I was basically getting an office job just as this movie was taking off on home video. So maybe this is still a cable staple, but I honestly don't know. So if you haven't seen it before, it's a cult classic. It's just a classic at this point. And it really captures the tedium of corporate work. And I think you'll get a lot of wish fulfillment if you have an office job, (laughs) or even if you don't, (laughs) I think you'll appreciate the humor here. Okay, in the same vein, The Office, of course. We all have watched the UK, The U.S. version, I assume. But as you may or may not know, Ricky Gervais created The Office in the U.K. back in 2001. And the show was massively successful and has been adapted all over the world, not only in the United States. There are many different international versions of The Office. The great thing about British shows, if you're not aware, is that they're very, very short. You can literally watch the entirety of The U.K.-British Office all three seasons, or two seasons, I guess, Plus their specials in an eight hour binge, maybe eight hours, maybe less. And of course, if you're familiar with the US version, which ran for many, many seasons, eight hours wouldn't even dent (laughs) the the runtime of that full show. So give that a shot. If you've never watched it before, you'll probably notice if you are a fan of the US office, a lot of the same scripts. They literally were adapted one-to-one in the US uh, versions, but it definitely has a different flavor to it. So if you haven't seen that, check it out. I believe it's still available on Netflix. Next, if you liked the talent behind this show, you should definitely check out, if you haven't already, Ben Stiller, who directed the bookend first three and last three episodes of Severance, directed Escape at Dannemora with Patricia Arquette. I believe they both received Emmy nominations. And not an office comedy at all. Pretty grim stuff, actually, based on a true story of a corrections corrections officer that helped some of the inmates escape. Two inmates, one older, one younger, that she was having... A sexual relationship with. And it gets into the psychology of these characters of being trapped in prison and what that does to you, but also of Patricia Arquette's character as the corrections officer who has created a fantasy, a safe fantasy in this relationship with these prisoners because she's bored with her life. And this is a very risky situation she puts herself in, but it's also a pure fantasy because these people are behind bars. And then what happens when your fantasy life and your real life cannot coincide? And it's Really, a great piece of work. You should check it out. It's on Showtime, I believe. All right, next up is Terry Gilliam's Brazil. This film, I believe, a lot of this is from the top of my head. I I didn't write down all these dates, but I think it's not that important. But I believe it's 1985. This is a notorious film at the time that Gilliam directed it after having a huge success with Time Bandits. And this has been the story of Gilliam's life, unfortunately. He was given carte blanche to make this Brazil movie. A comedy, question mark? Very, very grim comedy, but indeed very funny sometimes. Gilliam, of course, coming from Monty Python, has a lot of that Python-esque humor here, and some of the same contributors to the Python movies and shows. But basically, this is a very grim, although occasionally very funny, version of the 1984, the George Orwell novel. And once you see the 1984 reference, you can almost go beat by beat over the course of the film and see where they all correlate. But this is an incredible film incredibly influential. The design work is absolutely spectacular. And it goes to speak to how when you do things practically and not all with computer effects, how things really stand the test of time. But in this film, we have our protagonist constantly escaping into a fantasy world, which is where it kind of overlaps with our severance world. This blending of reality and fantasy or this inability of knowing what we're seeing is truly happening or is just happening in someone's mind. And this is a direct reference, by the way, Sona has called out this strange technological confusion in the show. Is this the 80s? Is this the 90s? Is this current times? And Brazil does a lot of the same. It seems to be a future, but the technology is very antiquated. And this was a reference point, by the way. The creator of Severance mentions how he and Ben Stiller talked about Brazil when they were making this show. So check that out. And just to touch on Terry Gilliam, not directly related to Severance, but still very interesting films, which are both... Also very good and also easily accessible on streaming. One is The Fisher King with Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams. And the other is 12 Monkeys. And in both cases, we have protagonists that may be insane or may be experiencing some kind of alternate reality. In Brazil, we have some of the same themes. So if you want to talk about the auteur theory or themes in a filmmaker's career, here's three films that have that shared motif, even though they're very different. But if you haven't seen 12 Monkeys or you haven't revisited it in a long time, I'm sure most of us have heard the sad news about Bruce Willis. And this is one of his very best performances. So now that we're not going to have any more Bruce Willis performances, and now that he's made so many absolutely terrible performances in the past few years, it's good to remember the kind of unique charisma he had at his peak. Okay, next, anything that Charlie Kaufman has written or directed. You can go to one of the very first films he had produced, Being John Malkovich, Spike Jones's first film as a director, and in that case you have characters who can literally enter each other's minds and puppet their bodies. So that of course correlates somewhat to what we're seeing in Severance. It is also very very darkly comic as well, as Severance can tend to be, and has a really beautiful visual style. So check that out if you never have, maybe that's a little bit of a forgotten film, but a real classic. And maybe maybe 1999, again, what a great year 1999 was. The Matrix came out that year as well. Another mind-bending film, by the way. The Sixth Sense, Fight Club, and a whole bunch more that I'm not going to bore you with now. But what a great year that was. One of the watershed years for recent filmmaking. Also from Kaufman, probably my favorite of all his films. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, an absolute classic. That's, I'm not going to get into my whole method of rating films, but that's a 10 out of 10 for me. And definitely one of the best films of that decade. And I'm actually a big fan of, Anything Kaufman's made, I even really love Schenectady, New York, Schenectady, New York, which most people do not, even Kaufman fans. But a film that got many, many positive raves, actually, just a few years ago on Netflix called I'm Thinking of Ending Things with Jesse Buckley and Jesse Plemons, along with Tony Collette and David Dulles doing great work, by the way, all of them. This film really didn't work for me. And I, I say that as someone who's pretty much loved every single thing that... Kaufman has written or directed but this got almost universal praise so there are definitely fans of this so check it out it's very interesting it definitely is a film that is mind-bending and makes you question what you're watching moment to moment and it does answer all those questions by the end of the film I don't think it's that satisfying the answers they come with but like I said I might be the minority here so check that one out it's very easily available on Netflix and if nothing else it looks great very well made and has great performances across the board. So to stay on Netflix, a couple of Netflix productions that I think are probably underseen, but also really excellent. One is Maniac from 2018. And this one is really, in many ways, probably a direct progenitor to Severance itself. In this film, I'm sorry, it really does feel like a film, but in this show, directed by and written by Carrie Fukunaga, who directed the excellent first season of True Detective, and just recently, last year actually, most recently, directed the latest James Bond film. And in between, he was supposed to direct the It film, by the way, as well. He got very close to directing that, developed it all the way to production, and then dropped out because of some disagreements in the tone or the shape of the film. Regardless, this is what he put out instead, and it's really, I think, underseen and really an excellent show, in which Emma Stone and Jonah Hill, both giving great performances both suffer from depression and they go to have a pharmaceutical study where they take a drug and this drug is supposedly going to fix all of their problems and we find out minor spoilers here just for episode 1 or so that when they take when they join the study and they take the drug what happens is that they go into A fantasy world in their minds where they can live a complete alternate reality of their lives. This is all happening in their minds. It's not truly like a multiverse type situation, although I will be talking about multiverses soon. (laughs) And then supposedly through living these completely disconnected alternate lives, they heal their problems in their current life. And they're also not supposed to share these fantasy worlds, although Jonah Hill and Emma Stone do continuously intersect in those fantasy worlds as very different characters. And it really lets them play very different roles, which is very entertaining, but it's also very moving and very powerful. And the reason I correlated here, not only because of these different personas and different circumstances who may or may not tenuously remember these traumas from their other lives, all of this, of course, pertaining to Severance as well. There's also the styling of it. It also has this strange motif that we've seen here in Severance where the technology seems to be old school doesn't seem to be contemporary at all. Sometimes some of the technology is extremely advanced. Some of the technology is very antiquated. And once again, it really makes you question what time frame this is happening in. So all of this seems to be a direct influence on this show, which of course, I've never seen the original, but even this show is an adaptation of a Norwegian show. So maybe that's the real influence on Severance. I've never seen that show, so I can't speak to it. But all these things are probably playing in the same sandbox. And that is Maniac... Staying on Netflix, and very apropos to the current television calendar, is Russian Doll. This show, I believe, was much more popular than Maniac. And so much so that it's coming back for season two this very month. So now is a perfect time to catch up on Russian Doll if you haven't already seen it. Or if you want to rewatch it in preparation for the, the next season, which is premiering in less than two weeks. And in this show, not a spoiler, <laughs> Natasha Leone goes to a party in Brooklyn. She's a hipster or a post-hipster. And she dies at the party. And every time she dies, she wakes up in the same bathroom at the same party over and over and over again. And something happened this night that she needs to fix, but she has no recollection of it. And things get even more interesting. There's a pivot about halfway through this show, which is relatively short. I believe it was only seven episodes, eight episodes. But right in the middle, there is a pivot in the show where the world of the show becomes so much bigger. And it's really a great show. And it really... Not only does Natasha Leon get to have a really fun and great performance, she basically has explicitly said that she's doing a Columbo impression, and she really is. It's hilarious. She's basically doing this investigation of her own death, basically wearing a Columbo-like trench coat. And the music's great in this show, by the way. I'm a big music fan, and they have a great music for bands I've never heard of before, so really fun to discover new music here. The style is great. All directed by Leslie Headland, and also uh, mostly written by Leslie Headland. Amy Poehler is also a producer here. But a lot of fun, obviously still available on Netflix, and season two is coming, and I highly recommend that one. It has a really beautiful emotional payoff at the end. Here's an interesting one, another show that I think very few people have seen, but once again, this very month, this very month, we're getting a second season. It's incredible that all these things overlap. Maybe there's just too much content. Maybe it was the pandemic that created a bottleneck, but just nuts when I start putting this list together to think about how all these things are colliding here. But also coming later this month is Undone Season 2. This one is on Amazon Prime. This is animated, rotoscoped, if you're not familiar with rotoscoping. It is when you literally paint over an actual frame of the actual actor, and it gives you this very interesting cartoon look. But it's a unique style. It was pioneered partially by Richard Linklater, which I'll talk about in just a minute. And he's directed a lot of commercials. You've seen TV commercials if you see this style that have this particular animation style. And this entire show is made this way. This is a very surreal show. We have our protagonist played by Rosa Salazar, who is potentially time-traveling or potentially having some kind of psychotic break. Her father has passed away, played by Bob Oderkirk, our beloved Saul Goodman, who also gives a great performance here. And she keeps slipping into a reality where he's still alive. And the question becomes... Is she losing her mind? Is this mental illness? Or is this actually happening? Season one ends on a decision she makes, which I won't spoil here, as to whether she's going to double down in one direction or another. And I'm very curious to see where season two goes. The performances are wonderful. Track down reviews for this show, it's almost unanimous praise. I'm probably not as enthusiastic as most people are about this, but I will say that I like the ideas it plays with. And it really does have a really powerful emotional punch to it. Wonderful performances, like I mentioned. And it's really short. You can knock this thing out in a few hours. I just confirmed it's eight episodes, and they're all 20 minutes or less. So very, very quick binge. Another huge plus in this glut, when there's such a glut of content, the shorter the better, especially if it's good, of course. (laughs) Quality being most important, of course, but short is better, if possible. Oh, that's on Amazon. um, And that's on Amazon Prime. I hope I made that clear for free if you have a subscription. Speaking of this rotoscoping style and Richard Linklater, Sona's favorite films of all times, and one of my, my wife and I agree on this, we bonded over this series of films, the Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, Before Midnight trilogy, directed by Richard Linklater, doesn't really lend itself to Severance, although you should definitely watch those films, they're incredible. But I spoke to the fact he was one of the first to use this rotoscoping style in for feature films, And here's a list of some that you may want to track down that definitely are in close alignment with Severance. One is Waking Life, a very trippy fantasy of someone who is dreaming, maybe dying. It's a question that's open to interpretation and basically is intersecting with all these vignettes of all these people at different moments in their lives. And it's very trippy, very philosophical. It's a different side of Linklater. Of his very first film slacker is very much in the line with this waking life film they're almost sequels to each other but it's a really interesting film and another fascinating film also rotoscoped starring keanu reeves is a scanner darkly from 2006. this film has many many detractors i personally love this film it is a tough watch you really have to give it a lot of patience but if you make it to the end boy this thing really has an emotional wallop to it so Give it a shot. I highly recommend this one. And it takes place in the future where people can change their physical appearances, but there are consequences to taking these drugs that can allow you to disguise your appearance or change your appearance. And once again, it's another one of these stories about an unreliable narrator. It's based on a Philip K. Dick novel like Blade Runner is and some other sci-fi classics like Total Recall, for example. Not action-packed, but full of very strange comedy, a great performance by Keanu Reeves before he had his keanu sans or whatever we want to call it. His recent upswing in fame and popularity. But that one's a little more experimental, but I really do highly recommend it. So if you are going want to go in the deep end, that's a good place to go. Speaking of going down the deep end, <laughs> here's one more. Maybe I think I only have two more. One is available on Hulu, and it's called Devs. This is Alex Garland's first, I believe, TV show. Alex Garland has written some scripts for Danny Boyle. And then became a filmmaker in his own right, making the very well-received and adored Ex Machina, a great film. And the less well-received, but I think equally excellent, Annihilation, which both are still available to stream. But this show, Devs, really intersects very strongly with Severance in the fact that in this show, there's a computer that is so powerful that it can see alternate universes, basically. So it allows folks to see what their life experience would be, given alternate decisions and this show is very dense and honestly as i watched it and i'm the type of person who can tolerate this thing i was kind of off put by some of it oftentimes but i think by the time you get to the end this is definitely worth it if you quit on it before if you tried to watch it and then quit on it i would say it's relatively short i think it's six or seven episodes only it's all available to binge on hulu now you don't have to go week to week and i do think it pays off it does require some patience but it definitely has a strong payoff so check that out that's devs on hulu originally on FX or FX on Hulu. It's one of those projects, these FX on Hulu shows, produced by FX, but then exclusively available on Hulu. Interesting partnership they have. And a lot of really quality shows have come out of this pipeline. All right, here is my last recommendation for now. <laughs> so many Mac recommendations, but I recognize Miss Casey in this show from a cult series back in 2009, which was partially created by Joss Sweden, after Buffy the Vampire Slayer had wrapped up and starring... Eliza Dushku from Buffy and also co-starring Daikin Lackman, I believe that's her name who plays Miss Casey on Severance and this show lasted only two seasons and had a cult following although it never was very successful and there was always a rumor there would be a movie but it does wrap up satisfactorily. They got just enough fan reaction to come back and finish up season two with an actual ending which ties up almost everything so if you're impatient early watching this show it does become a clear what's happening in the show over the course of season two and it does have a satisfying payoff and in this show we have almost like a charlie's angel initially seems to be like a charlie's angel type riff where these very attractive women they work for a modeling agency and this is like a and basically the theme of this show where an organization wipes people's minds and then uses their bodies to basically puppets them to commit corporate espionage and in some cases even worse and they call them dolls therefore dollhouse and the question becomes that if you can actually wipe someone's persona does their underlying past the traumas they experience within these personas do they persist in some way and do they bleed over and the show is very fun to start and then gets very dark over time but i do recommend this show it's very interesting another show that i really feel is underseen and under remembered and that is available to binge the whole thing on hulu so check that out if you never have and I bet you most of you have not. <laughs> oh, and I said that, that was my last recommendation. I have one more very briefly because I plan to give you a full review of a movie I just saw this weekend, currently in theaters, called Everything Everywhere All at Once. And this film, everyone should just see this film because it is absolutely incredible. Don't read any reviews for it. Just go see it. And I have a feeling it's just now opening wide and it's going to turn into a really big hit. So uh, good for them. I'll give you a full review of that. But also very mind-bending, literally has to do with multiple realities, and that is a really excellent film. I will be giving you my review of that in the Moon Knight review episode, which is coming later this week. And with all that out of the way, I do hope you track down all those things, if possible, but I do hope I tantalized you into at least checking out some of those. Put them on the watch list along with the other dozens of things we never get around to seeing. (laughs) All right, so here's my conversation now with Sona about Better Call Saul. In preparation for season six, we are reminding ourselves of what happened in the first five seasons and just talking about thematics she's a lawyer by the way and that adds to her perspective here on the show itself all right enjoy the conversation and i'll talk to you on the flip side
1: If you're going to be a criminal do your homework wait i'm I'm not a bad guy I... i didn't say you're a bad guy i said you're a criminal what's the difference i've known good criminals and bad cops bad priests, honorable thieves you can be on one side of the law or the other But if you make a deal with somebody, you keep your word. You can go home today with your money and never do this again. But you took something that wasn't yours and you sold it for a profit. You're now a criminal. Good one, bad one. That's up to you.
0: In preparation, everybody, for the final season of Better Call Saul. And just once again a public service announcement to everybody which i think everybody knows this it has it is on netflix i'm sure netflix does a very good job of pushing this content out to everybody season five is available now on netflix so catch up on that or re-watch it and what we're going to do here today is first we're going to try to break down season one through four not all of it because it's going to be impossible but i think i wanted to have a conversation with sona to get an impression of what she likes so much about the show and also put it into a thematic frame, I was joking off mic with Sona that I kind of been making revelations about this show. As I've been trying to write down step by step what happened in the show, which has turned out to be many, many, many things, (laughs) a very difficult thing to do, that I started to make connections in the show between the different characters and also with Breaking Bad. Mm -hmm. So the first connection I made, which I thought was interesting, was that I think about Walter White has this chip on his shoulder from kind of having missed out, and he thought he deserved more than he got. And in watching the show, I was so focused, and maybe you picked up on this and I did not, but in watching Better Call Saul, I was so focused, especially early on in the early seasons, on the relationship between Jimmy and his brother, that I didn't make the connection that I'm like, wow, he really has so many of the same flaws that Walter has. Mm-hmm. Um, but Walter is maybe more morally compromised, believe it or not, <laughs> than uh, Saul is or Jimmy McGill.
2: I think Saul is very uh, Jimmy McGill, whatever we're going to call him here, is very yeah. self-aware.
0: Yes, exactly. And not only that, it's interesting in breaking down the show again. I really correlate Walter White's mindset more with the uh, that family, the, the Tuttlemans or whatever in season one, where they've stolen that money and Jimmy ends up doing the right thing and returning the money rather than keeping it for himself. And that's, mm-hmm. and he's still circling back to that. He kind of feels bad that he didn't just kind of take the money and run at the end of that season. But I feel like even when he confronts them that he knows that he took that, they, they took the money, they, they faked their own kidnapping and all that whole situation that happens in season one, they still refuse to accept the fact that they've done this thing until he basically has to steal the money away from them they, because they won't even acknowledge that they've done it. And I feel like Walter's closer to that, than Jimmy is because Jimmy knows exactly what he's doing. Jimmy knows exactly what he's about because he's conscious of what he's doing, that he does feel guilty. He feels like he has to help people as opposed to, I Mm -hmm. think like Walter White is destroying Mm -hmm. people's lives left and right, but he keeps telling himself, but I'm the good guy. So he he will not accept the consequences of his actions. And
2: also the, I'm going to stop. I'm about to stop. I just need this much more and then I'll stop
0: exactly which is exactly yeah. a total lie jimmy knows that he's not going to mm-hmm. stop because he wants he likes the game he knows that he mm-hmm. enjoys this thing Yes, and once again because he's doing this and he knows he's doing it intentionally he feels bad for the people he hurts as a and he even tries to help them like he in many ways he becomes like a robin hood in multiple moments without the throughout the show which Walter White never does, right? Walter White is only in it for himself from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a more evil person, honestly. You know, my recollection of uh, Breaking Bad, I always thought Jimmy was the more amoral character of the two, but I don't think that's the case at all, at least not the way he's been presented in this new show.
2: Yeah, I think in Breaking Bad, we just saw that one dimension of right. Saul in how he interacted with Walter, Whereas right. here we get a more full picture of what his history has been, why he is the way he is, what drives him to do certain things, uh, his relationship with Kim, his relationship with his brother, that I think, you know, paints a much fuller picture. But it is uh, true that, right, certain people, you only know certain aspects of them in your life. And if you only know that one aspect, you can make judgments about them that are not necessarily true.
0: exactly. Exactly. And uh, another thing I thought of, I was thinking of or, or real, coming to the realization of as I was trying to break down the show is how, and this is amazing writing by the way, it's something you don't appreciate maybe the first time around when you're watching this show. And I have not rewatched it that frequently. I've rewatched certain episodes, but I never tried to rewatch the whole entire thing. You kind of start seeing how all of these folks are all <laughs> in this like same cesspool of compromise. They all have to make these compromises. So whether it is, you know, Saul obviously Or whether it is Nacho, right, who's trying to protect his dad and, you know, can't find work, you know, with his criminal record. And now he's trying to be a more legitimate version of this drug dealer. And he keeps getting pulled into these moral compromises that he doesn't want. Or uh, Mike, who uh, Mm -hmm. we already know is compromised because he killed those cops who killed his son. But, you know, he's obviously, you know, not going through legal means of getting vengeance doing it on his own so basically all these folks are compromised and by the way spoilers we're going to spoil season one through four and we're also going to spoil breaking bad it's very hard to not even though this is a prequel and maybe maybe there's people out there who are watching better call soul and then they're gonna watch breaking <laughs> bad possibly i mean you can do that i mean sure if you're 20 sure you you could do that but given that <laughs> we are going to spoil breaking bad it's very hard not to i think about these people for example Gustavo not killing Hector 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 yeah yeah i think so not killing Hector Salamanca when he has the chance to because he wants to kind of see him suffer and he'll die because of that choice mm-hmm. and you see Mike not here but Mike going down the slippery slope and of course Mike has a similar journey in breaking bad where he does eventually cross paths with Walter White and and try to work with him and once again could have killed them off, did not, and he dies for that reason as well. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting duality here that these folks make decisions here in this show, caught in this trap, and whether it is today, whether it's at the end of the show, or whether it's in the next show, (laughs) they're all gonna kind of meet their maker at some point, right?
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Except for Saul, Saul's still alive, at least for the moment.
2: Yeah. I'm trying to think what happens at the end of Breaking Bad for Saul. He uh, ends up calling the vacuum cleaner people, right? To help him out. Am I remembering that right?
0: Yeah, exactly. And we see it here in Better Call Saul as well. The first thing we see is we see flash forwards, right? There's this black and white segments every season in the first episode. Oh
2: my gosh. I totally forgot forgot about the Cinnabon. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. Yes.
0: I remember the very first episode of the very first season. I thought this was going to be a motif. They would go back to every episode, but they do not. Yes. They do it only in the first episode of each season. Although the uh, most recent season, it was such a big chunk of the first episode. It was almost the entire first episode.
2: Yes. And it really um, put me off it for quite a while, actually.
0: Oh, yeah. I did not love that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. (laughs) Yeah.
2: I did not I th-
0: love that. <laughs> and uh, and to your point with the vacuum uh, repairman, that in th- it's the only time in Saul where that guy recognizes him in the food court, and he says, "Oh, say it, say it," and he's like, "Better call oh, Saul." Oh, stress. Yes, the stress. exactly. Yeah. And then he calls up Robert For Forster, dearly departed, by the way. On, you know, he this mm-hmm. is one of his last yeah. performances. Yeah. And uh, and then he changes his mind. As he's on the phone with him, he's like, no, I'm going to handle this myself. And we don't, mm-hmm. it's still, that's a cliffhanger, a, a much minor cliffhanger considering what happens in season five. But that is a cliffhanger as to how he's going to resolve that because we never come back to it throughout the season, right? So, right. But I assume that's where we're going to be picking up. You know, yes. I assume season six, episode one, we're going to follow that same pattern of flashing forward and we're going to see how he's going to, quote unquote, deal <laughs> with this guy. Yes. Yeah. So that's uh, some of the main takeaways I had. What are your general impressions? Like, Why do you love this show so much, basically?
2: I was not an an early adopter of this show, which I've (laughs) talked about before with you. Mm -hmm. That I think I did try and watch it originally. And I remember that black and white sequence in the first episode. And that I found very off-fitting. It did not appeal to me whatsoever. I mean, it was interesting to see that he's at the Cinnabon. But but other than that, like, I just felt it was too much. It's not what I wanted from the show. And then I think I tried watching a few more episodes and it just wasn't doing it for me at all. um, Because, as I've said many times, I have a very short attention span. (laughs) And this show develops at a snail's pace, or at least I felt like it was in these first uh, in this first season. And then. Probably two thirds of the way through the first season, I was talking about it with a coworker who was saying how much he absolutely loves the show. And I said, I just couldn't get into it. He said, you know, part of the reason I like it is it's the most realistic depiction of practicing law that I have Mm -hmm. ever seen. Mm -hmm. That comment made me think like, all right, maybe there's something to this. He really loves it. He and I like a lot of the same shows. Let me try it again. So um, even as you were talking just now, I was thinking, wow, I'm actually not sure if I saw every episode of the first season in the end, because I was like a Johnny come lately to this whole situation. But once I finally gave it a chance, when I wasn't feeling sleepy or impatient, it really drew me in. And I don't always go for that slow burn type of feeling, because I think also a show that has a real slow burn, it better pay off in spades Mm -hmm. because otherwise I just feel like I have wasted my time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) right? Like it's all developing so slowly. And when the payoff is just kind of, eh, you know, then I find it very aggravating, but this, I feel like really does pay off and continues to pay off. I feel like clearly, and I think this is the advantage of it being a prequel, they have a very strongly sketched out idea of where this is supposed to go, where characters are supposed to be introduced, what overlapping things are going to be between the Breaking Bad world and this world, what new aspects there are going to be. And I think all of that uh, is not something you see all the time in TV in 2022, right? Yep. I feel like, in, and again, I've said this before, I often feel like with shows, they're figuring it out as they go. Yep. And they, uh, you know, get renewed for a season and then they think, OK, like, what else can we throw into the mix? Or, you know, like it just seems like I, I feel I watch a lot of things where no one has figured out quite yet who the murderer is. Right.
0: right, <laughs> like, right.
2: like they introduce all these possibilities and then it feels like halfway through the season they're just going to pick based on audience feedback or whatever exactly. yep. um, and write the end of the show that way. This doesn't have that feeling. This has the feeling of like they have figured out what is going to happen for every character ahead of time. And I think that allows this to be really well-constructed and well-written. And even though it is a very slow burn, some of the scenes where it feels like nothing is happening are still so riveting and so tense. Yep. So overall, that's what is keeping me watching the show. Because I have to say, I don't feel a specific fondness for any of these characters the way you know, often I think like, oh, I'm dying to see what happens to this person, or I just want something good to happen for this person, or I want something bad to happen for this person, whatever it may be. Um, I don't I don't feel that fondness, but I just feel I am interested in the characters, and I'm yeah. curious to see how they're going to develop this, and I like this story.
0: Yeah, I mean, just to echo everything you just said, that with season one of the show, I felt yeah. like, to your point, I felt it was a very slow burn. And it didn't have a big payoff. And it's so funny. They are such geniuses in retrospect at using our love for Breaking Bad. And honestly, it was just like, I want to see Saul again. I want to see him hang out with with Mike, right? So I just want to see Mm -hmm. these folks again. And they have me on the hook for that reason. But I thought that the finale of season one, where he's basically just like, are you telling me, Mike, that I had that $2 million in my hands and we didn't just take it? And and then Mike has a really interesting point is another thing that I think thematically is interesting, where he's saying that, you know, you're not a good criminal or a bad criminal. You're just a criminal once you break the law. And then like, you know, whether you're good or bad, that's just in your mind. So just figure out what you want to be and just stick to that, right? Mm -hmm. There was rumors that Gus was coming back. And of course they teased it at the end of season two, I think, but he still wasn't there. So all of this was like culminating very slowly and there was little payoff. But the one thing that I found really riveting that kept pulling me back, that I could have watched the show even without that other context, even though I do agree that I was kind of a little, okay, maybe I'll watch season two, I wasn't 100% on board, was the relationship between the two brothers, was this toxic dependency and then this betrayal by his brother was, uh-huh. and, and that's where you say that, you know, that it um, is like, and I agree, that's the other thing I was going to touch on too, is that I agree with what you're saying that I don't really feel a huge amount of affinity for any of these characters right either. but at the same time just because of the amazing writing on this show mm-hmm. i completely sympathize with every situation so mm-hmm. it makes you feel like you're watching everything from a distance you're not like friends with these people but you do sympathize where they're coming from because they are in a, like an impossible situation or they're trying to do the right thing and mm-hmm. uh, they just can't right so all those things are very very uh, powerful oh and the last thing i want to bring up before I pass it back to you is uh, just to follow up what you were saying is something that I love about Vince Gilligan, the showrunner here who created Breaking Bad in this show and started all the way back in the X-Files is like you were saying that this is supposed to be a very, very realistic legal show. I don't Mm -hmm. know the law, but I feel (laughs) when I'm watching it that what they're doing, even the legal maneuvers and stuff are all legitimate. And the reason I feel that is because what I love about this show is that he loves vince gilligan this is loves process so when we see a car get blown up when we see the way a sniper kills somebody when you see the way they launder money the way they make the drugs in breaking bad he has broken down step by step by step how exactly would this work and i love that attention to detail it's not like there's no plot holes it's like you're deeply deeply invested in this world because they've showed you step by step by step exactly how they got to this situation you know it's really fascinating just to see the way they work all of them the con men everything the way the cons Mm -hmm. work even that is interesting to watch right
2: well law is nothing if not process (laughs) exactly exactly so yeah he's definitely gotten that right and i think to talk about something that you touched on the relationship with the brothers i have to say i that was one thing that i found off-putting at first too that i thought like ah this dysfunctional relationship between the two of them and then the way it was developed really drew me in because you could find yourself taking one brother side one episode and the yep. other brother the next episode right, right. you totally yep. understood how these two found themselves in this situation and i, I have my own opinion if who ended up being being the worst person in the end <laughs> but, um, but i'd like to know while, your opinion
0: though i'd like to know your opinion go
2: ahead, go ahead. I, definitely michael mckeon to me
0: yeah me too
2: uh but there was a while right that it was just going back and forth of like well these two are just driving each other up the wall and really they just need to be on separate coasts in all you know <laughs> <laughs> they need to get as far away from each other as they possibly can because they're just bringing out the worst in each other
0: yep and going through the show by the way i really made me feel even sadder about the outcome of their relationship by yeah the way. now to actually walk a little bit through the show the earliest flashback i believe the earliest flashback we have in this whole entire show is jimmy as a teenager his mm-hmm. brother is much older i think there's like a 14 year gap between them or something so his brother's like in law school already when he is still working at his dad's convenience mm-hmm. store and this guy comes in and steals money out of the drawer and jimmy sees it and jimmy warns his dad that this guy is stealing mm-hmm. money and he's like no no you have to trust people you can't be you know you can't be so cynical and uh, the guy sees jimmy see him do it and the guy takes Jimmy aside and says, "You in this world, you have to either be a wolf or a sheep, right? So this is mm-hmm. very important, obviously, to Jimmy's philosophy on life.
1: There are wolves and sheep in this world, kid. Wolves and sheep. Figure out which one you're going to be.
0: And then, of course, what he decides to do is to steal as well. And then, of course, the dad mm-hmm. loses the business, but uh, he dies shortly thereafter. You know, Michael McKean's character in retrospect feels completely betrayed by his brother. And then he like rescues his brother from this situation where he may actually go to jail for the first time. You know, he's been arrested before, but it's the first time he might actually do time for taking a poop through someone's sunroof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like because he did it in front of a school or something, he could go to jail for indecent exposure, etc. And then, you know, he saves his brother from that circumstance using the respectability. He brings Jimmy into the fold by letting him work at his law firm. And then mm-hmm. they have this more. Good relationship there for a while. Meanwhile, his brother's uh, Chuck's uh, life is uh, falling apart because he's starting to have this condition. His Mm -hmm. marriage is falling apart, and those two things are probably interrelated: him losing his marriage and losing control of his Mm -hmm. his uh, faculties at the same time. Meanwhile, Jimmy, like to impress his brother to say like, Mm -hmm. "Hey, look, I'm doing the right thing." Has put himself through school, and he's like, "Look, now I'm a lawyer." But then his brother says. No, you're a con man, you're a thief. And he honestly feels like I don't trust you being here at the law firm with me. But then worse than that, you know, when the suicide comes later on, he feels that, you know, he did everything the right way. He, and now Jimmy, his screw-up brother, he's succeeding more than Chuck is, right? That he's gotten mm-hmm. the better of Chuck. And Chuck cannot handle this anymore, right? Like mm-hmm. it, it's and it's that whole conversation that where Saul just tears him apart. Chuck just feels like he has nothing left. And that's when he kills himself. Which is, of course, really, really sad. But when you think about his journey from someone who's like, I did everything right my whole entire life, mm-hmm. and now I have absolutely nothing. And Jimmy, on top of that, this guy that was a slippery Jimmy, that, slippery Jimmy, is now succeeding where I'm not. Like it's it, he mm-hmm. couldn't tolerate, he couldn't take it, right? And you know, this loving quote unquote relationship with his brother has undone him completely, right? It's it's really very sad. Why were you working against me, Chuck?
1: You're not a real lawyer. I'm um, what? You're not a real lawyer. University of American Samoa, for Christ's sake? An online course? What a joke. I worked my ass off to get where I am. And you take these shortcuts and you think suddenly you're my peer? You do what I do because you're funny and you can make people laugh? I committed my life to this. You know slide into it like a cheap pair of slippers and then reap all the rewards i thought you were proud of me i was when you straightened out and got a job in the mail room i was very proud so that's it then right keep old jimmy down in the mail room because he's not good enough to be a lawyer i know you i know what you were what you are people don't change you're slipping jimmy and Slip and Jimmy I can handle just fine, but Slip and Jimmy with a law degree is like a chimp with a machine gun. The law is sacred. If you abuse that power, people get hurt. This is not a game. You have to know, on, on some level, I know you know I'm right. You know I'm right. Some fuel canisters, is enough for three or four days. After that, you're on your own. I am done.
2: It is really sad. And I think a very familiar family dynamic,
0: too. Unfortunately, yes. Right?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, of like, you can do well, but you can't do better than me.
0: And that's why it's such a riveting relationship they have, because it is so much the case, right? It's not only with family members, right? It's all even with your friends, right? You have friends who you have somebody who's like kind of a layabout and kind of screwing things up their whole entire lives. And right, you're they're supposed tr- to
2: be the screw up. Yes, exactly. exactly.
0: And then you give them a handout and you help them out when you can. And you always feel like you're like the big sister, you know, metaphorically. And then, uh, you know, and then eventually they're like, you know, uh, excelling and you're, you know, you may be hitting a rough patch in your relationship or your life. And you're thinking like, what, how did this happen? How did this happen? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this isn't how
2: it's supposed to go. These aren't
0: our roles. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And of course, it has very tragic consequences. In, and it, it, even worse, because it's not just competition within a, a corporation or something, it's your blood, right? And, and they're the only family they have left for each other, right? So it's mm-hmm. very... And of course, this also, when Chuck dies, this is an unmooring of, you know, Jimmy, he changes his name soon thereafter. But that also is, you know, metaphorically, the thing that was tying him to a legitimate mm-hmm. legal career is gone, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Although, and maybe we could pivot over to Kim, although Kim would also theoretically be, not my wife, Kim, by the way, <laughs> but um, the, uh, <laughs> although we do confuse that sometimes when, when me and Kim- You mean your
2: child's us. parent? My,
0: my <laughs> child's parent, yes. One, one, only one of my child's parents. <laughs> What's interesting about her is that theoretically she would also be a grounding force for him, right? But she has a very interesting psychology because she is definitely attracted to the bad boy, right? In Jimmy, right?
2: Yes, and I think um, she is that person that does things by the book and wants to be above board. But we see, right, her, the thrill-seeking side of her. They yep. have these alter egos that they go around running these scams on people regularly. Yep, exactly. so, um, Which is so interesting. Uh, <laughs> Because I think it's one thing to to like a bad boy, but she's got that in herself and she has a drive to indulge that because there are several points where someone with their feet on the ground would say, this is leading to something destructive, not just for you, but for me, just by being in proximity to you, it's going to be destructive. And she never does walk away because, well, partly let's say because she really does love him, but also because it indulges that side of her that loves the thrill.
0: Well, I mean, this is jumping way ahead, but so in season five, to your point, I think it's interesting where she is at one point saying that, you know, you are endangering me by going behind my back and doing this. And he's like, mm-hmm. I didn't tell you because I want to protect you. And she's like, there's only one way to solve this. Mm -hmm. And I remember in that episode, I'm like, oh my God, this is the thing that's going to break them up. But she's like, we have to get Mm -hmm. married. We have to get married. Uh So we have, it's like, oh, that was not what I was expecting. Right. And not what a
2: normal person would say. (laughs) First, I just need to get out there that Kim's ponytail drives me insane. (laughs) I really just want want to see her do something different with her hair than the ponytail. I do understand being a litigator myself, there are times you need your hair out of your face. This ponytail is too much. It's the curl, the twist, it, it drives me insane. It's a very uptight ponytail. I do not like it.
0: I think that's intentional though, right? So I mean maybe, but like put it a in a bun,
2: lady. I don't know. So first there's that. Kim's alter ego that her name is Giselle, which <laughs> I had forgotten.
0: Ah, <laughs> that's right, Giselle. Right.
2: Then, you know, I had forgotten about the whole thing where Jimmy is in the position of making Howard feel better about the brother's suicide because Howard has taken so much guilt on for this. And oh my gosh, like it was just so riveting to watch. Because Howard is expressing all of this guilt that Jimmy is feeling, but Jimmy has pushed it so far down. Yes. He will never acknowledge to anyone, including himself, that he feels that guilt, but Howard is putting it all into words. I think everything that is in Jimmy's subconscious.
0: And Jimmy is so disconnected from it because there's that reaction that Kim has where she knows initially that Jimmy is completely devastated by this and that, you know, and the more he denies that he's feeling nothing, the more she knows that he is completely, you know, like- um, Mm -hmm compartmentalizing or something. I don't know what the terminology is, but it's like, she's like, what is going on here? Speaking of compartmentalizing, he's also changed his name, right? So that's another thing that is kind of indicative there.
2: That was like the thing, I think on an emotional level that struck me the most and remembering just really all the terrible things that those two did to each other in order to undermine each other, which was, you know, it's just an awful, awful situation to be in with your sibling.
0: There are times when they are, working together, right? They, they work mm-hmm. on that case together and they, they have this real, I mean, that's the biggest betrayal, by the way, is that with all the things Jimmy's done, when they work that case together and Jimmy gets him back into the office and they have that whole entire experience and they really feel like they're going to work together and his brother decides to be like, no, I don't want you to work this case. And then it gets worse, <laughs> it gets worse. They betray each other so many times throughout that Ugh. entire relationship. It's it's horrible, it's horrible.
2: Really just painful. So there is Giselle. All of this stuff with poor, is it is it Nacho and his dad? I can't Nacho remember his the dad. character's yep. name, but oh Nacho. my gosh, this is yep. just one of the most painful things to watch, right? Because right. Right. he's so trying to protect his family and he yep. is doing something so dangerous and they yep. know this is his weak spot. And it just seems like it cannot possibly end well.
0: Right, exactly.
2: So there's that. And I remember even there were certain scenes, someone is literally just counting money. And it was so stressful. I think it was associated with the pill switch.
0: It's Nacho and it's him counting the money over and over again. And like, he's got to get the count. And then, yeah, because he had already gotten a situation where the count had been wrong or he he like let a guy slide on the money. Mm -hmm. And
2: then- Right, because I just- I remember thinking like oh my gosh i cannot believe i'm this tense just watching someone count money yes the tension of that oh my god how about you
0: (laughs) but for me it was more about the whole journey of these characters like you said it's reminding me of like all these individual stakes even like the almost schizophrenic relationship between him and kim and i think that's what's so interesting about her as a character you have these scenes where she is berating him like a, a parent for screwing up mm-hmm. and then she's defending him and then she's goading him into doing even more and that is really fascinating is that you know how these scenes her motivations seem to change because maybe she doesn't fully understand her own uh motivations herself and maybe that's part of the her psychology as well because unlike some of these other things where we see this relationship with her with his brother I should say and that you know seeing that whole journey or like you mentioned seeing Mike's relationship with you know being drafted by Frank fring gustavo another thing that i almost forgot how tense this is is the whole double agent nacho situation because he has to be doing what gustavo wants him to do and he's like an inside man for lalo like these mm-hmm. two things and of mm-hmm. course we see it you know this is the giant cliffhanger for season five that uh you know he obviously has at that moment he's hanging out at lalo's compound and he's the one who opens the gate for these like militia to come in there. And Lalo yes. knows full well who opened that gate, and that is a huge cliffhanger for season five. Of so, so stressful. Incredible. That's the stakes from one season to the other have really mm-hmm. escalated. At that point, yes. it's like the origin point of you know him saying "Better Call Saul," but he you know is struggling to keep his license. So those stakes are pretty high. He's got his relationship with Kim is falling apart. Stakes are high there. And of course, you see what happened with Mike, where he had to kill his friend, so stakes are high there. But for season five, the stakes are so much higher this season than any other season. It's incredible.
2: For something that started as such a slow burn, it's almost a speeding train in comparison at this point.
0: Unlike, you know, we just did Severance as a recap, a show that I really, really loved, obviously. But at the same time, when you think about that show, which has had its slow burn moments as well that 13 episodes which is this final season seems like not enough time not only because you know you can obviously theoretically you could wrap up this whole entire plot in one episode if you wanted to but you know they're not going to do that they're going Mm -hmm. to develop all these characters they're going Mm -hmm. to get every piece bit of drama and uh, tension out of every single one of these things. And it's gonna be methodical. We're going to see people make decisions, make the wrong decisions, make the right decisions. So that actually takes a lot of time to develop all that. So it doesn't feel like 13 episodes is enough to wrap all this stuff up, believe it or not.
2: Totally agree.
0: But there are so many little seeds that have been planted that are all gonna come to fruition here at the last season. And it's so funny to watch something that could actually be very sad at the end but just from a standpoint of me watching someone make great television, I'm so excited just to watch a great season of television. Absolutely. Even if everybody dies at the end, still, I'm like, I'm okay with that. I just want it to be good, you know?
2: <laughs> well, we know certain people don't die because it's a Breaking back universe. <laughs> yep,
0: that's true, that's true. A
2: little yeah. trivia. Sure. Uh, when they set bail, you only have to come up with half of it in cash.
0: Interesting. So just as some context there, uh, Sona's uh, addressing the fact that in season five, this is, salamanca needs to raise seven million dollars the bail is seven million dollars but maybe in defense of the show maybe they are only bringing three and a half million so like when Jimmy's i think
2: i him, think that's right yeah i think that's right
0: i love yeah. that by the way <laughs> then with the with the money counters with the piles and piles yes, of
2: money. yes yes
0: <laughs> you imagine somebody walking in with millions and millions of dollars in cash yes. oh, <laughs> oh my boy. goodness
2: and actually, let oh, yeah. me clarify. It's if you have a bond, you only need 50%, I guess. Uh,
0: and also the bail bondsman, like, are they going to front them that money? That that's true. About- you <laughs> only
2: pay the 50% because it's the idea of like, well, I'm definitely not going to uh, be, yeah, be fleeing the country. So
0: exactly. And if this <laughs> I guy's just like, get pretty, out of jail. like pretty yeah, much dead to rights point. that you, he did this, you know? <laughs>
2: yes, yes. Very fair point. If you do plan to flee the country, you should just put up the whole <laughs> amount in cash. Exactly. so i stand corrected
0: <laughs> oh yeah so so there's some threads from season five we see lalo leave the compound at the end he survives this you know assault Crazy. and uh, amazingly survives that that whole sequence is once again one of the most incredible Riveting. action sequences on ever ever recorded on television you know you know what now thinking back on this season how many incredibly tense sequences are there. We have the situation where Nacho busts into the drug den and escapes with the drugs and that whole thing, like Batman, right? But it's like that whole sequence is so tense. The cops are at the door with the flashlights as he's escaping, jumping from rooftop to rooftop. It's like incredible. Mm -hmm. You have that sequence. So tense.
2: So tense. Oh my god! And that's
0: just a teaser for, for example, when Gustavo shows up at Nacho's dad's card game or whatever it is with his friends and they're basically like we're going to kill everybody inside of there and unless you are a double agent for me <laughs> you're still not off the hook and that's another really tense sequence and then that goes on and on you have the shootout in the in the desert even though we know it's so tense even though we know that he doesn't die right we know jimmy's not going to die obviously
2: mm-hmm, obviously
0: then <laughs> something that shouldn't be that tense is that conversation in their condo <laughs> with lalo is one of the most tense i, t- I told you what happened
3: did you Look, okay. Are you, are, are you kidding me with this? Kim, really? Do you know what he did for you? Seven million dollars of your money. He hauled it across a damn desert without one penny missing. And he got you out of jail for a murder that, let's face it, you're definitely guilty of. He did everything you asked. What exactly is it that you're getting at? What do you want? I found his
1: car in a ravine. Bullet holes on the side. So, I'm just waiting to hear how that happened.
3: Bullet holes. That's it? Look, I don't know what it's like where you're from, but here in New Mexico, you leave a soda can out, someone's taking a shot at it. That, that, that's what you're on about. You don't think it's possible a couple of yahoos with guns shot up a piece of junk car and then rolled it down in a ditch? End of story? What kind of operation are you running anyway? Tell me. Cause I think I know why you sent him to do this job. It's obvious. You have no one else you can trust. Right? So you sent some lawyer through the desert with your, with your seven million bucks? that. I, No offense, but you need to get your house in order. Oh, really? Yeah, really. If you don't trust your men with your money, you have bigger problems than if you trust Saul Goodman. Oh, my God.
2: Oh, my God. I totally agree. Yes.
0: And then, of course, you end culminating with uh, that shootout at the compound at the end, especially tense in that circumstance, because we do not know what happens to Nacho and Lalo. You know, we don't know who survives this thing. Here's something that is breaking bad trivia that could potentially be a bit of a spoiler but in the first episode Saul is in the episode called Better Call Saul when he's in the desert and Walter White has him like with the bag on his head and they, he's basically begging for his life that first time we met mm-hmm, mm-hmm. met him in that character he says who sent you was it yes. nacho was it Lalo, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So did you? Did Nacho send you or did, did Lalo send you? Which would imply that they survived. They're they alive. Survive,
2: right? Yes, agree.
0: But I would say that even though that is theoretically a spoiler, I wouldn't rely on that too much because you could, I could totally imagine, for example, Lalo dying in Mexico or Nacho being tracked down when he runs away with his father, which he has to run in, at this point in, in the show, right? And mm-hmm. uh, it could die anyway. And, uh, and of course, Saul just wouldn't know about it. So it could just be that Saul doesn't know. Um, right what what's going on there although it's interesting that he would think that either one of them would want to kill Saul because Saul has not done anything at that time that would put him on the bad side of either one of them right he's reluctantly helped Nacho i mean he, he got he kind of sympathizes for Nacho but he doesn't really want to help him anymore and he you know it just keeps getting him into trouble but he's sympathetic towards Nacho and of course Lalo despite all his misgivings I mean, in the end, what did he do? He just transported the money. That's all he did, right? And all he did was not tell him about this hit that was uh, attempted on him, right? But anything, any other takeaways you have about season five? I
2: mean, as I said, for something that started out, such a slow burn, they really became like a speeding train by the end. (laughs) Right, right. Like, it really went from... Moments of really subtle tension to just like, oh, this person might die right now. So um, so really a radical shift from the first episode of the first season (laughs) where I almost fell asleep watching this guy in a Cinnabon. So (laughs) though I have no fondness for her, for whatever reason, I am very worried for Kim.
0: Yeah.
2: Especially because we know that in the Breaking Bad universe, she's not around. So why isn't she around? Right.
0: Yep. She
2: has not shown herself to have too much of a self preservation instinct when it comes to Jimmy. Yep. So,
0: good
2: point. Uh, so, I'm most concerned about her, even though I don't really think her story is the most interesting here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We, Kim and I, we, we are big fans of her as a character. Last night, when I was thinking about this conversation, maybe this is the season we just saw that one flashback of hers to her mother, who was a screw up. In season five, I believe, is the first time we see that flashback where her mom goes to pick her up. She's like drunk and she's like a a teenager at the time, maybe Mm -hmm. even younger. And Mm -hmm. she refuses to get into the car with her mom because her mom forgot to pick her up at school again. Apparently, it's just something that happens all the time. I think that relationship is very fundamental to who Kim is. But I think also the fact that we saw that flashback late last season is setting things up to maybe get into her psychology more this season, which makes me worry about her even more because I'm like, maybe this is like fleshing her out so that she, you know, like the the final death blow is even more painful, which uh, mm. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's the case.
2: No, sadly, I would not be surprised either.
0: Oh, you know, she, he could have just abandoned her, right? They're married and everything. So he's obviously tied to her financially, but he could have just abandoned her you know, and then disappeared, like changed his name, and disappeared. So it's possible, but I have a feeling things don't go well for her, unfortunately.
2: Kim's not perfect, but with everybody else, you kind of feel whatever fate awaits them, they brought it on themselves. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> They're yeah. doing extremely, extremely dangerous things. Right. And if that catches up with you, well, you are only going to outrun it for a certain amount of time, right? It's a miracle if you can truly outrun it. So- you know, so as much as, you know, I maybe don't want to see something bad happen to Nacho, if it did, it wouldn't be surprising. Right. So, yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, you kind of signed up for it. Whereas right. with Kim, not perfect, but far from that type of stuff. Right.
0: Along the lines of what you just said, it, it, you know, that kind of is, I think, going back to the idea of how I and you, I believe you agree with this, is that you kind of watch all this from a distance, is because it's really compelling. I believe everything that's happening, these are like real people in my mind. It's very rare that a show feels like I'm watching real people living their lives and these are real people. But like you said, I feel like they all made their beds. So it's not like I'm sitting there on the edge and on edge of my seat terrified that something bad's gonna happen. I'm like, I know something bad's gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And it's, but there is a huge amount of sympathy I have for the characters even as they screw their lives up, you know? But the bigger question I wanted to ask you is, is something else I was thinking about. Is i find it interesting that jimmy in a way is moral even when he bends the rules when he pulls these cons and things i feel like he's only like for example like when his friend pretends to be the dead rich guy and they bilk money from uh, other people it's like they're always targeting like fat cats they're always going after people who have power i think he always feels like he's doing it for the little guy even though he's really doing it for himself but i still think that he feels like he's doing the right thing And what I find interesting in the show, and I'm curious to get your feedback on this as a lawyer, is that I feel like maybe, maybe I'm overreading this, but maybe this is a commentary, not maybe just on legal profession, but maybe on systems in general, because I feel like everybody's always yelling at Jimmy for doing the wrong thing because he is falsifying a document or pulling a scam. But the thing is that, they're screwing him over or screwing over the little guy, but they're doing it above board. So it's okay. And I think that Mm -hmm. is kind of what this show is talking about. It's okay if you're a large corporation who kicks somebody off their land or ruins somebody's life because you're doing it for your stock price and it's the pragmatic thing to do. And it's it, it happened in a courtroom, and you you got them to sign this document or whatever. So it's all above boards. But then Jimmy is in a way like defending those guys, or thinks he is anyway. And but he's doing it like illicitly. So therefore, he's the bad guy mm-hmm. in a way. And I think that he mm-hmm. feels that that's part of his chip on his shoulder. It's like it's okay if you do this messed up thing because you did it with an illegal procedure. But it's not okay if I do it because I did it by conning somebody out of their money or something. Well, first of all, do you agree with that? And second of all, do you think that there's some commentary there about the legal profession or maybe just about how systems corrupt people inevitably anyway?
3: I think
2: there's definitely a lot of commentary about both the legal profession and the legal system in this show, right? Because I happened to see an episode of this, I think it was of the fifth season a couple of weeks ago, because they're rerunning it on AMC a lot. Mm -hmm. And I had A little bit of free time to watch. So it was an episode where in the courtroom, Jimmy is representing somebody, but uh, he's examining the witness. I believe it was some kind of a robbery. And, uh, you know, do you see the person that committed the robbery in the courtroom today? And the person says, yes, he's sitting right there, you know, pointing to the defendant's table. And he says, are you sure? Yes, I'm absolutely positive. you sure that's him? Yep, I am. Well, no, the defendant is sitting in the back row of the courtroom, (laughs) right? Right, right. He found somebody with a similar appearance to the defendant to sit at the defendant's table to show that, you know, this is the type of thing that can easily happen. People have in their head, you know, eyewitness identification, by the way, is notoriously terrible. And, you know, of course, then all hell breaks loose in the courtroom (laughs) and the judge is not amused by this little (laughs) trick. But the point being, I think the commentary is there of how easily... Good people can find themselves in a bad spot. Right. Or, you know, you make one mistake and you're paying for it for the rest of your life. I think a lot of that is there about the legal system. There's a lot about, you know, one of the things that sucked me into this originally when I was going to give it up was, you know, I used to be a class action lawyer and there's this big Sandpiper class action lawsuit. And you see how, you know, you've got the corporate side of it that's trying to figure out how to capitalize on it and make the most money. And then you've got these this group of senior citizens that is the actual class. What the you know what they want from this lawsuit isn't really being considered. And then there's that really sad thing, right, where they all turn on one of the class representatives. <laughs> yes. And they won't walk with her in the yep. ball anymore, <laughs> yep. and all of that. So I think there's a lot going on about about the legal system and the way it can be exploited.
0: Perfect example of what you're describing there was one of the reasons I first started thinking about this when I was looking at some of the recaps is this idea that once they've like quote unquote won this judgment, I should say, and then you know they're like negotiating percentages and like they're even saying to Jimmy that, you know, he might not get paid out for a decade or whatever. And everybody wants—they're all maneuvering for more money. And then you're thinking that all these people are like geriatric, and all these uh, the lawyers now are arguing about how large the pot is going to be and how they're going to split it up, because they they want that prize to be as big as possible for their playoffs. own. Yeah. But you know, and theoretically, if you won a, a law lo- um, that lawsuit when you were 25, you might say, "I'll wait till I don't care if it takes 20 years to get the maximum amount. I want them to hurt, and I want to mm-hmm. you know get the maximum amount for myself." but these people will be dead by the time this this uh, this thing is resolved and you think to yourself like who's really benefited from this right in the end and it's that was exactly one of the examples of what i was thinking about the commentary here that in the end you know jimmy might want to con some money out of someone's pocket to pay somebody now and that's wrong theoretically and but now these meanwhile these lawyers have supposedly won this case for this these folks and that's their win their ju- you know they win the judgment and like now who in the end, who benefits the most from this situation and from dragging it out right as well.
3: Mm-hmm. So it's
0: a perfect example of, of what I was thinking of before. the reason I think it's it might be even beyond the legal profession is because I think about all these other people who are also compromised, you know, they're not in the legal profession, but they have also been corrupted by, you know, decisions they made, right. These decisions they made right. and now they can't, <laughs> you know, reverse course. And undo
2: them. Yes.
0: Yeah. All right. Thank you again for the conversation.
2: Thank you. Bye bye. Bye.